0: Hello there, Dr. Danguera. This is Authentic Biochemistry Podcast. And today is the first day of spring. So it's the 20th day of March, 2022. Now, we were finishing a paper last time, just yesterday, uh, discussing the use of medium chain triacylglycerol as a ketogenic supplement to diminish white matter that is sphingomyelin degradation in aging population of humans in an NIH study, determining whether or not adding a short-chain fatty acid source, which would be converted presumably to ketone bodies, and those ketone bodies would help preserve the sphingomyelinase and phospholipase C-mediated Uh, removal of fatty acid from preformed membrane lipids that compose the sphingomyelin core. So phospholipase C actually works very much like uh, a sphingomyelinase. Um, So the amount of phospholipid that's found in white matter is pretty small, but it does could contribute to the production of fatty acids. Remember that what happens is that the astrocyte, um, based on the hydrolysis, mostly of sphingomyelin, will generate fatty acid, which is sterified to coenzyme A. CoA then, as you know, is trafficked to the mitochondrion where beta oxidation occurs and ketogenesis follows. And the ketone bodies are translocated via a monocarboxylic acid transporter from the astrocyte to the neuron and the neuron then uses that ketone body for bioenergetics. This is because glucose becomes limiting in the aging brain because of the lack of uptake via the IGF-1 pathways. And also there is a diminishment of gene expression that leads to anabolic activities. And this is Uh, a positive thing because you don't need net fatty acid synthesis or cholesterologenesis in the brain, but you do need beta oxidation. And this is precisely what is found in the aging brain as, as a source of energy. Remember that there's always a problem getting fatty acids to the brain because of the blood brain barrier. And yet during fasting and during long periods of starvation, of course, which is very rare. The um, amount of glucose levels drops pretty quickly, but what does uh, enhance the bioenergetic uh, facility of the central nervous system is ketogenesis, which comes from at-depot fat, translocating fatty acids to the liver, the liver generating via the same process I just went through there. Ketone bodies go into circulation and they make it through the blood brain barrier, make it into the neuron. But uh, this process also becomes hindered as we age because lipoprotein metabolism is also dependent on a lot of anabolic pathways. And because of involvement of liver deterioration, kidney uh, deterioration, and also lacks of oxygen tension because of the capacity of lungs decreasing as we age, the overall need to be able to generate the, the ATP to drive neurotransmission in the brain becomes more and more dependent on local ATP synthesis from local bioenergetic substrates. And so if you have having a problem trafficking glucose um, and then glucose signaling through the insulin growth factor one pathway in the central nervous system, you can see the glucose uptake can be hindered. And at the same time, lipid transport into the central nervous system is typically hindered because lipoprotein passed through the BBB is uh, usually not an extremely um, powerful highway to be able to generate those respirable fatty acids for ATP synthesis. You become more and more reliant on in-situ CNS ketogenesis. So the idea in this whole paper was to add a source for ketone bodies and then with that source, presumably be able to keep the white matter in higher integrity. Remember what we found is that there were some specific regions uh, of the fascicular area of the fornix, which is is, uh, associated with the limbic system near the hippocampus with hypothalamus connections as well as uh, cortical connections. Um, And that particular white matter bundle was at least maintained at some level of thickness uh, above and beyond the control or placebo patients. And this was a human study, okay? And they did find that there was the speed of recovery, the Z test that's used in psychiatric tests was enhanced by giving this uh, short chain uh, or medium chain triacylglycerol as a supplement, and then following would be, and that was submitted as a C11, uh, 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 an isotope of of carbon C11, so that they could uh, follow the uh, metabolism of those fatty acids through the ketogenesis process, etc. Okay, and they were also using uh, fluor- glucose to determine whether that glucose levels were altered. Uh, an uptake. And I told you that that was not uh, found, but what was found was apparently a higher utilization of this C11 uh, isotopic uh, um, fatty acid derived ketone bodies. So let's finish off that paper. I spent the last several minutes finishing it, but I wanted to make sure you know where we were. So what they show was that there was a the decline in glucose uptake over six months, specifically to the what's called the posterior cingulate segment of the cingulum. And this was found both in the placebo and in the uh, people supplemented with the medium chain triacylglycerol. So in that uh, KMCT group, those are the supplemented group the increase of ketone uptake and the decrease of glucose uptake in that particular fascicular region were not correlated. Uh, So that means that they believe that disease progression over the six months probably is linked more to the declining glucose uptake in the posterior cingulate segment of the cingulum. You see, because the, the the, the increase in other um, readouts for dementia uh, continued and progressed along with the decreasing amount of glucose. Now, the posterior cingulate segment of the cingulum did have the highest glucose uptake at baseline. Uh, And so it's considerably higher than the fornix. Remember, the fornix is where we're seeing this enhancement of maintaining the stringal layer. Now, that makes that region probably more vulnerable to a declining energy metabolism during aging. This is right from their paper. I think that's probably true, although they didn't measure that. And it's hard to know whether or not um, glucose transport itself is hindered, because if it's not, it's not very likely, because glucose doesn't need any binding proteins in circulation. It certainly doesn't have any problem getting into the CNS or even into cells, the only thing would be the IGF mediated uptake could be uh, diminished. I mentioned that last time, but also it could mean that the glycolytic pathway could be diminished. And this has been reported in the aging brain. Anyway, could make it more difficult for ketones to compensate for an impaired glucose uptake, specifically during that transition period from using mostly glucose to mostly ketone bodies, at least in the posterior cingulate segment, okay, that we're talking about here. And all of this has been reported for the beginning of dementia, which is basically prodromal mild um, cognitive impairment, or MCI. Now, the tractography studies have shown that the posterior cingulum does have lower glucose uptake, as I just said, and even fiber density in the MCI patients versus patients who do not um, present with MCI. So there is that there. Now, they mentioned there's a limitation of study, and let's mention it because they're right. Very small sample size, and they were assessing relationships to cognitive outcomes. Remember, I told you that that is a very difficult thing to measure uh, because they didn't seem to have any effect on memory, but they didn't seem to have an effect on the Z score, which has to do with the speed of which questions can be answered on the standardized test. Does that really mean that the cognitive ability is maintained at a higher level because of these short chain or medium chain uh, fatty acids? I don't know that that can be shown, at least not from the data here from this 2021 paper. So, again, the white matter does indeed become eliminated. And so, during aging. Okay. We know this. And that has to do with whether or not the fascicular um, aspect of that white matter is um, um, re-established with more sphingomyelin. Okay. Because as soon as the sphingomyelin degrades off, then you get axonal degeneration as well. Okay. I don't know if I mentioned that last time. So that's, so. this is kind of a limitation to the study because the inability of that <clears throat> fascicular segment to actually rebuild um, is linked to many other cerebrovascular uh, problems, such as the chronic inflammation has increased because of the microglial activation. So in terms of cardiovascular risk factors, both groups had no change in blood pressure, and they were also measuring. I don't know why, because this really isn't a good indicator of uh, cardiovascular status. But they were measuring plasma cholesterol, and there was no really effect, no fa- effect there, which doesn't surprise me at all. Okay, <clears throat> so the relationship between the white matter ketone uptake and the processing speed was significant in this six, six-month study. So what they're saying that maybe in the future, they'd like to do some fluid attenuated inversion recovery, that's known as flare imaging, something i talked about before. It's just a technique that does an imagery that is able to look at real-time fluctuations and changes in metabolism, okay, rather than the static images you get from PET. And it's not fair to call it static, but it really is. And so anyways, they're suggesting this may help them in future studies. And also they know that myelin is really important. What they're not really dealing with here is the amount of omega-3 to omega-6 fatty acid content versus saturated fatty acid in that myelin sheath. Um, You know that you need a high enrichment of docosahexaenoic, icosapentaenoic, omega-3 fatty acids in that sphingomyelin and in the associated glucocerebrosides and sulfatides. And that can be a problem if you're not getting good lipid uptake, right? And feeding medium-chain triacylglycerol is not going to be able to um, recover any of that associated cognitive impairment because that's going to require the very long-chain polyunsaturated fatty acids to maintain membrane fluidity. This is what also allows for that, um, why sphingomyelin is such such a great, um, uh, maintain as it maintains the conductance of neural transmission because it acts as an excellent insulator because of all those double bonds at the meth closer to the methyl terminus, which allows for more membrane fluidity, right? So that's the whole key there. And they weren't really looking at that, they weren't looking at replacement. Now, an interesting study, I, as I would imagine, would be to give these same people that are getting medium chain. Uh, fatty acid trisoglycerol, and looking at white matter and at the same time put them on a regular high-dose EPA, DHA, that is icosapentanoic and docosaxenoic acids, and see whether or not that maintains integrity of the white matter. Uh, that, would, that would be a study I'd like to see. So it'd be a, uh, and it would add another arm to the study, but I think it would be important. So basically what they show is that a six-month keto medium chain triglyceride supplement did increase ketone supply in the white matter fascicles. And this was what they were looking for, right? And they're saying there's an equivalent effect on the deep white matter as in fascicular gray matter endpoints. Okay. So not, I didn't mention that data and it was pretty convincing, but again, we need to know what those lipids are. We need to know what those li- lipids are. And we're not really measuring them. And fatty acid composition is what matters here. And also fatty acid sequence in terms of the membrane. Um, okay, so they're saying that the measures they were using for processing speed, uh, for answering questions in the neuropsychiatric disease were increased with the white matter ketone supply. Uh, and that individual fascicles, white matter fascicles, associated with the Fornix did seem to maintain a better thickness compared to the placebo. So basically, that's what they're trying to say. And they're hoping that this may have a help uh, with uh, correlating myelin integrity with increased cognition when people are already suffering from mild um, uh, cognitive uh, decline. Okay, So that's basically that paper. Let's go to a new paper. This is an endocrine review published in 2020 and the summer of that year. Okay, so what they tell us are things we've already covered, but let me go over it as a, a review for introduction. They tell you the signaling pathways from exercising skeletal muscle to other organs is not just mediated by the neural system. And we know this because there is electrical stimulation even of paralyzed muscles in patients with no efferent or afferent neural networking. And so that means that you have the skeletal muscle as an organ system, as well as a neurologically network system, okay? So they're saying there are probably several um, bloodborne factors that would represent signaling between the skeletal muscle and the CNS, and they say before those factors were identified, they were called work factors or exercise factors, which means they knew there was something was being produced in the muscle and getting into circulation and helping with the central nervous system, but they didn't know what exactly that was. So what they're saying is that skeletal muscle does produce interleukin-6, which of course is a cytokine, and that interleukin 6 has multiple, not just inflammatory control, multiple metabolic effects in other parts of the body depending on downstream sequelae signaling. Okay, so just because you have a protein, glycoprotein interleukin 6, which can act as an inflammatory cytokine, it doesn't mean that it always functions that way because you have to have all the downstream processing of that signaling after IL 6 binds with its receptor for that to turn into that kind of response, right? And so that's the real key feature. I also like to bring up often authentic biochemistry. We've got all these names for these proteins, like the cytokines. And we say, well, there's anti-inflammatory and pro-inflammatory, and they're produced from different subsets of lymphocytes and leukocytes, and also from epithelial and endothelial cells. And if we can look at the relative ratios of pro to anti-inflammatory, we can also look at the relative ratios of pro and anti-inflammatory, say T-lymphocytes um, or macrophages like M1 versus M2. And we might get a handle on whether or not we're diminishing chronic inflammation at the same time maintaining reasonable immune homeostasis. And also that these cytokines, chemokines, etc., can function as growth factors of certain cells by stimulating first their activity to function as they normally need to. For example, it's a Treg cell, but then secondarily for cell division to make more of these cells. Okay. So that's what I mean by growth factor. So this 2020 paper says given multiple um, effects of exercise, and this includes neuropsychiatric, of course, bioenergetic, Of course, physiological, pathophysiological and immunological effects of exercise. They're saying that besides this one IL-6 is a factor coming from muscle, getting into the blood and then somehow affecting downstream processing occurring in the central nervous system. They're saying there must be other cytokines and peptides. And I would argue also lipids associated with lipoproteins or with serum albumin that are also being generated by the muscle tissue. And you could also add amino acids to that and organic acids like lactate and whatnot. So there's a term they're using now for these cytokines that are made from the skeletal muscle. And I brought this up before too. I was looking at my older notes. I know we talked about this in 2020, uh, four or five lectures I found both on the audio and the video. But these are called now, these cytokines generated from skeletal muscle are called myokines, right? From the myocyte, from the muscle cell. So you've got myokines, which are cytokines and other peptides that are produced, expressed, and released by the muscle fiber. And they will exert because that, because of the way we label things in um, signaling, we're going to say they're going to have some kind of hormonal effect. Okay. And so you're going to be obviously an endocrine effect. If the muscle's making it, it's working in the central nervous system. That's an endocrine type of thing. But well, now the skeletal muscle acts as an endocrine organ, right? But also you can have paracrine and autocrine. okay? So, mitokines mediate a communication then with this kind of definition between the muscle and other organs, including, as I just said, the CNS, but what else? Well, obviously the adipose. Because the muscle and the adipose have a very intimate relationship already with the dippocons, right? And with glucose metabolism, fatty acid metabolism, things we always talk about in intermediary metabolism at biochemistry lecture. So you've got myokines mediating communication between muscle and brain, adipose tissue, the bone marrow, the liver, of course, the gut, the pancreas, vascular beds, including the cardiovascular system, and even the skin, okay? So muscle as a reservoir of functional hormonal regulation of the other organ systems in the body is now become a very, very fashionable discussion. And the reason is, because we already knew this, But the reason it's become more fashionable, more 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 research is being done with it. And from the health point of view, like enhancing health, because enhancing skeletal muscle as we age is currently sort of underdeveloped, pun intended. But the idea is that if you can maintain this skeletal mass, you'll maintain this myokine population and maintain a healthier homeostasis. And this may affect lots of positive things, right, including enhancing normal cardiovascular activity, and maybe even there have been some studies that suggest that may may help diminish the potential for um, uh, oncogenesis, because you're getting homeostasis. So I mentioned that interleukin-6 is a key myokine because it mediates exercise, skeletal muscle-associated contraction-associated exercise with an anti-inflammatory effect, okay? So IL-6 has an anti-inflammatory signature to it. And so now they're arguing it also has a hormonal effect, okay? And the the idea even is not only does IL-6 act as an anti-inflammatory cytokine, but it also may be acting as this myokine, right? And therefore, there could be a consequence of some kind of training adaptation including the reduction in the abdominal adiposity because of the linkage between skeletal muscle and the depot fat. They could be enhanced by enhancing the amount of IL-6 recovered from secreted myokine stability and endocrine or autocrine-paracrine functionality. Okay. So again, we're looking for new myokines and this paper is kind of like broadening that strategy. They're also uh, uh, making the point, and this is obvious always to me, is that if they, even if myokines aren't functioning directly to promote health, they're probably pretty good biomarkers because they would suggest a healthful, healthy skeletal muscle mass. And when aging is associated with it, and we're talking about exercise in the aging population, this all fits into what we already know about Having an active life after the age of 65 is going to maintain a healthier central nervous system and overall body health than people who live a sedentary lifestyle. And this is notwithstanding, of course, but we must consider diabetes. You thought I forgot about diabetes? I have not. These lectures are all linked to that, right? And yeah, diabetes is a very negative effect on skeletal muscle bioenergetics and has a negative effect on adip- uh, adipose tissue bioenergetics and therefore global bioenergetics. And then all the diseases that are linked up to it when there is some kind of negative permutation to it. Okay. So again, myokines may be useful for things like cancer and diabetes and neurodegenerative disease. It's basically why I'm getting through this whole category of things, right? So they claim that uh, myokines will improve skin uh, maintenance. It will help, myokines will help control the hippocampal neurogenesis. Myokines may help by diminishing excessive appetite in the uh, arcuate nucleus of the hypothalamus, along with functioning co-regulating with adipokines like adiponectin and leptin. They're saying that myokines functioning also may help with adipose tissue by browning some of the depot fat, meaning increasing mitochondrial fission. More mitochondria, more iron, more iron. We call that brown fat. That's why it's called that, right? Uh, they're claiming too that myokines may have a positive effect on macrophages by decreasing some of the more potent pro-inflammatory cytokines, so going from an M1 to an M2 phase by increasing, I mean, I don't look in 10, but decreasing tumor necrosis factor alpha. Um, also with skeletal muscle, remember the myokines are going to be associated with increases in amp kinase, right? Because you're going to have a lean skeletal mass, so you're going to have. A a rapid turnover of glycogen, a rapid turnover of intramuscular triacylglycerol, which means you're going to have a very active muscle-to-liver trafficking of things like lactic acid and alanine, right? Um, So this is going to improve uh, fatty acid oxidation. It's going to diminish hypertrophy as associated with uh, fibrosis both in the liver, the muscle, and the adipose, which is always good. Uh, And it might even enhance glucose uptake because of this whole uh, activation of the pathway that looks like fasting to homeostatic controlling systems. Uh, Myokines also help help increasing the levels of uh, GLP-1. And GLP-1, of course, aids in the synthesis and secretion of insulin. And again, at the liver, you've got, that was in the pancreas, in the liver, you've got an increase in hepatic glucose production during exercise. This would be the gluconeogenesis. <coughs> so, all uh, all things considered, it appears that myoc- uh, promoting myokines in the skeletal muscle should improve overall health in the aging. Okay, <coughs> human. <coughs> Excuse me. So this is the new chapter we're going to discuss now for the next couple of episodes. I'm almost out of time today because I spent so much time wrapping up the last lecture. I apologize for that, but it's what I had to do. So let's see if I can add any other closing remarks here. So again, interleukin-6 is the big thing here. And remember, interleukin-6 does not cause inflammation, okay? And it does become secreted by skeletal muscle. But there are a lot of other peptides that are secreted by the muscle. So... What they're trying to look for are, what are what's the nature, what is the actual classification of all these other proteins. And that's what this paper is going to start looking at. So you have also, besides just having skeletal muscle, secretion of what are called myokines, like IL-6. Now they're saying maybe some of these proteins, maybe some of these lipids, maybe some of these nucleic acids aren't just proteins, and they seem to be associated with specific exercise induction, And sent to the circulation. So now they're going to call these exerkines. Okay. Not my terminology, but that's what's out there now in the literature. So we're going to talk about exerkines and myokines uh, next time. Okay. So I'm going to stop there. We've covered off this whole concept of myelin sheath homeostasis in the central nervous system by increasing the amount of ketogenesis by. In the diet, having short chain or medium chain, saturated fatty acids, which will then aid in ketogenesis in the brain or enough in circulation that that would enhance the utilization of ketone bodies in the brain, even as glucose levels decrease with aging. And that was a human study. Now we're going to get into this whole myokine-exerkine paper, which is published in 2020. Again, human analysis. So this is Sunday, the first day of spring, the 20th of March, 2022. And again, this is Dr. Guerra saying bye for now.